This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the code motion20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for Comics in Motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the promo code motion20. Happy reading. Hi, my name's Steve and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, My friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case... You can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Show we spend time looking at an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. The hope here is that we can do a deep dive into an indie comic you may have missed or give you a chance to talk about it, one of them with us on social media afterward. I'm your host, Tony Farina of DC Comics News and Fantastic Universes. This week, I'm going to be discussing with my esteemed guest, Brian Lee O'Malley's masterwork, Scott Pilgrim. Now, a lot of people may not even realize Scott Pilgrim was comic book first. Everybody loves the Edgar Wright movie. Well, if you don't, you should. But Scott Pilgrim was actually put out from Oni Press, which was originally established in 1997. They're based out of Portland, Oregon. And they have done some really premier, high-quality work. Comic versions of Rick and Morty and Vader Zim. They do Stumptown, which is excellent. We'll be covering that on a future episode. The Bunker, The Tea Dragon Society, The Coldest City, and on and on. So if you haven't heard of Oni Press, you should probably check them out. There'll be a link in the show notes. And Brian Lee O'Malley, who is a Canadian author and artist, wrote and drew the entire run of Scott Pilgrim. We're actually going to be discussing the color version, which um, is not the way it was originally done. It was really done in black and white, but we're going to discuss the color edition here. But... Uh, Scott Pilgrim, for those of you who don't know, is a full-time slacker, part-time musician who lives in Toronto. Uh, he's a bass player in a band called Sex Babam, and he um, has an interesting relationship with an American delivery woman called Ramona Flowers. Craziness ensues. All right, well, my guest today is that guy from that thing you heard on the internet, uh, Jake Owens, co-host of the Watching Comics podcast on the Glorious Geek Dad Network. Jake, welcome to Indie Comics Spotlight. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. 
I am excited that you're here. Now, um, I'm having you here because I'm a fan of your show, what you and Mitch do, and we'll talk a little bit about what you guys do over there at Geek Dad. I'm a big fan of Geek Dad, and you know, I had uh, Jonathan Liu on early um, in, in my run of shows. He was on when we covered Paradox Girl. He and his co-host of the uh, Time Travel Pod um, recorded tomorrow, and, and Jonathan's a Geek Dad guy too. So big fan of, of Geek Dad. And, um, but you, on your show, you do a thing where you occasionally come on and say impossible questions. And it's just like a quick, you know, 10 or 15 minute bit where you talk about is how do I pick between these things? And when you did the movie or comic, Scott Pilgrim, I was like, that's the guy I need to have as my guest, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. So, um, so that's why I reached out to you guys. So I'm super excited that you're here. Um, so tell everybody your comic, this is your first time on the show. So let's give everybody your comic book origin story. Um, what, what was your first comic, if you can remember? Um, oh, you know, man. When, when did you move from, you know, most people's first comics are one of the big two, although yep. that's not always the case. Um, so just kind of tell me your, how you got into comics and what you love and, and, and how you guys started the show watching comics. Um, well, so I'll, kind of, I'll try to keep it brief because I, I can be a talker, heads up. That's um, okay. That's good. <laughs> so I, I grew up with, uh, I was kind of adjacent to comics a lot in my childhood. I had a neighbor that I was really close with that he had, and his, his dad had this huge comic book collection. I didn't own any myself at the time, but he would let me read through them, um, I'm, it wasn't mine that I owned, but I'm going to claim as my first comic because it's the first one I clearly remember holding in my hands and reading and being shocked by a turn of events was the return of Norman Osborn as oh. the Green Goblin. Um, wow. Okay. And I, I'm sure, well, and I know I'd, yeah, and I know I'd read comics before that, but that's the first one that I remember my, my friend next door, like taking it back and being like, yeah, dad says this probably going to be special uh we probably shouldn't have gotten it out of the bag um and so that and that for me like just kind of hanging out with this guy for we lived next door for about a year year and a half hanging out with this guy was kind of like it jump-started something in me because i had watched up to that point you know spider-man uh, x-men animated series the batman animated series is still a very special favorite of mine um, I loved the movies and all this stuff. And so that, uh, but living next to him kind of kickstarted for me, like, oh my gosh, there's this whole mythos on two different universes that could really jumpstart my fandom. And then I learned that there's more than those two universes in, right. in my town where I was growing up, there was, uh, there were a couple of young guys. I think they were late high school, early college. I never actually met them, but they made their own indie comic and started selling it at a couple of local stores. And, um, I, if you're out there guys, it was called Captain Crafty. Uh, I don't know. Amazing name. Yeah. It was this guy that he like, Drew, I think his power was he would draw things into existence. Um, and he looked like kind of your stereotypical Saturday morning cartoon painter with like the, the French beret and a big mustache. And um, I just remember the very first panel was Captain Crafty, like standing in line and this guy behind the counter is screaming and handing him things. And he's like, for the love of God, I'm just trying to buy something to drink. I'm not here to rob you. And that's... <laughs> Stuck with me my whole life. So if you guys are out there anywhere listening, maybe uh, I'm, I'm an old school Captain Crafty fan. 
Uh, I have no idea who it is. I'm hoping it's like Jeff Johns or something, but I don't think that's right. That'd be amazing. We'll Uh, have to to do a a deep dive. There was one for me in college, and it wasn't anybody I knew. It wasn't local. I mean, I guess I'm from Michigan, and it was uh, Mm -hmm. somebody who was from Ohio. There there were two comics. That was all that were ever made, and they were called Death Craze Teenage Superheroes. And uh, Arf Arf Comics, it was called. There were just two. And it was a cliffhanger, because the second one was called Death Craze Teenage Superheroes Die, but they didn't. Um, so you knew something was coming and then it, that was it, two comics. So I understand the, the inclination to like, you find like a hidden gem and it sticks with you. So did you ever find out, did Captain Crafty's run, did you get to have a fulfilling end or was it like? No, I don't, I don't remember hardly anything about it. And that's the thing is like, for me, it was this, oh, hey, there's, and I just remember other kids that were into it and who knew more than me being like, yeah well, yeah, there's more than just Marvel and DC. And I was like, <laughs> shut up, guys. I don't know. Um, and But so I uh, I went on and got into comic books. And it took me a long time to start my own collection, but I would always read them whenever I could. I did a lot of trades. Um, you know, Watchmen is a lot of people's of entry point into a uh, little more, more edgy adult comics. Um, I got assigned, and I always, I don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced Mouse or Moss or... Um, I say Mouse. I, I read... Mouse. Yep. That's how I, I read that in college for a class and, um, you know, just started branching out a lot. I, I will say, and I don't know if you want to count it as indie or not because it's, it's still vertigo, but my favorite comic of all time is Sandman, that original well, run by Neil Gaiman. The thing about that. So I've covered a couple of vertigo titles on this show. And I, the only reason I haven't, and I've gone back and forth, my daughter, my 20 year old daughter, my youngest daughter, Sandman is her favorite comic. And I actually asked her to come on. And I would make the exception for Sandman if she would come on. Um, oh, nice. And talk about it with me. The only reason I, I don't is that that is the one series that exists in the DC universe in Vertigo. Like, yes, he goes to Gotham. And yeah, Wesley, and he, Wesley, he hangs out with Wesley John Dodd. Constantine. Yeah, yep. and Wesley Dodd is there. So that is, that's the only reason I haven't... Um, but I'm with you. I mean, it is an indie comic just hiding in the DC universe. <laughs> that's, that's well said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, by the time I get really going into adulthood, I'm, I, you know, like all of my closest friends, one of my very best friends, his, his party trick when we really started getting close is he'd tell people, like, ask this guy anything. And, um, you know, they'd pull up quizzes online about stuff. And to me, it's like, well, this is really easy. Like, you know, of course it's Green Arrow. Um, yeah. And so... <laughs> Duh. Uh, everybody was amazed by that. So anyway, um, I got out of college, went on, did life, all this stuff. Um, a few years ago, uh, a good friend, Mitch, uh, reaches out to me. He had had a podcast about movies because Mitch is a, a brilliant performer in his own right. Uh, he has written a lot. He's just a very creative guy that, you know, when he doesn't have enough creativity going, he makes new things. Yeah. And he'd had this podcast about films that was wrapping up because the other host had new opportunities and he was looking for something new to do. And I had guest starred on his once to talk about Spider-Man homecoming. Um, and he, he reached out and said, would you want to do something like that with me regularly? And I, I said, I think that my family would love it if I would talk to someone else about comic books once in a while. So, um, so yeah, we got started and it's, it's a, it's been an awesome adventure. We have a lot of fun doing it, and I, I love it. And it's led me here right now, which is amazing in and of itself. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It's a great show. I love the show. Again, Thank you. you. Can, your chemistry is great that between the two of you. It's always 
it's always better when, um, you know, when you're going to have a co-host that you guys are friends and the shows yeah. on my <laughs> network, on the Comics and Motion Network, the guys who, who group together, we have a couple of shows that have, you know, always the same few people on the show. And because they're pals and it just clicks and they, it's so much more, then it's for like you, the listener, listening to you and Mitch, it's like I'm sitting, like I'm in the third chair. It feels really welcoming and it's just a fun show. Um, and when, my favorite thing is that when you guys disagree, it's always like, well, I'm gonna have to disagree. Like it's never, there's never <laughs> any- um, can, I, can I tell you why that is, is because I think, and Mitch isn't here to stick up for himself, so I, I know he's going to listen. Mitch, if I misrepresent, send me the text right now, even if it's like two in the morning. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, the reality is I think everyone who knows the two of us would label Mitch and I as two of the more opinionated guys that they know. And I think that Mitch and I are both pretty self-aware by this point in our lives that we knew we're either going to be so civil it'll be disgusting or we're going, it's going to turn into like a Skip Bayless thing where we're just going to sit and shout at each other and nobody wants that. There's enough of that on the internet. So we, I think we kind of overdo it sometimes (laughs) because we're, we're working so hard to be respectful to one another, even though we're close enough, we could totally scream and get away with it. But uh, yeah, so I'm really flattered at that description of it because this is exactly what we wanted. Like what you just described is almost word for word what we kind of set out as our vision for it when we started. So thank you. I'm flattered. Well, no, thank you. I mean, you're welcome, but thank you. I really do. I love the show. It's um, and like I said, it's it's one of those things where as people like like us, the comic nerds, we never get tired of it. And and there's never enough, like at Comics Emotion, this this network, we're, we're almost a daily show now. I think we're working on our, um, it's funny that you say that you, um, that you guys want to make sure that there's a lot of civil discourse. We actually have decided, because there's like 10 of us uh, among six shows, that we're creating a, a new show. Which should, by the time this comes out, that show should actually be out. We're calling it Comics on Trial, where we take <laughs> one person defends an unpopular opinion in pop culture, and then the other person um, comes in and like takes the takes the angry mobs side, um, and so our first one was Angley's Hulk, where I defended the merits of Angley's Hulk. Oh man, yeah, you're a brave of, man. I actually it wasn't that hard, and that'll be out. Uh, that may come out. I'm I'm, like, <laughs> a, I'm a few weeks ahead, so like we're recording uh-huh. this now, and it won't come out until like sometime in September. So that show should be out. So I'll make sure I tag you guys when that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll listen to that one. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so it's funny. We're actually creating a show. So then at the end, we were all really civil and like laughing and having too good of a time. And I'm like, Oh, I totally concede that point. So it was that court. We, like we were having fun, <laughs> but then at the end, um, uh, when the, when the ruling was done, um, and I won't spoil it. One of us decided just for fun to like scream and yell and, and say, this is, you know, this is injustice and stuff like that. So we turned it into like that, like making fun of the angry voices on the internet. So, um, you know, it's because you're, you know, that's the thing about comic books. It's such a weird thing is that um, there's fans and we are all fans of things. I know you've said on your show repeatedly, you're a superhero, you're a super, or Spider-Man is your guy, um, right? He's your favorite. Am I right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm the Spidey yeah. guy and Mitch is the Superman, Superman guy. guy. Yeah, right. And so, you know, but so there's always going to be someone who's going to want to yell at you about your love for something, which is super weird. <laughs> I don't understand. It's like the, the way that, um, that it, it's something that's fun and positive. And that's why our comics on trial show, we're going to argue, but it's going to be like fun and light and we're going to be silly Oh, that's about good. It. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because we know, like we know there's differing opinions, but because we all get along real well, 
creating a show where we can have a real reason debate and we each come in loaded for bear and don't care if we win or lose because that's not the point. So hopefully we'll maybe change some of the of the culture around fandom, which I think is what you and Mitch do really well, is that when you guys disagree about something, you, you both wholeheartedly agree on Spider-Man 3 being a dumpster fire. And so at least <laughs> you can stay friends. <laughs> we, um, you know, I, and I think that's something that we talked about when we started it is like, and I, you know, to be clear, and I don't know if I'm always clear on this on the show, so, so I may have to next time he and I record. I, I think that there are way more good fans out there than there are bad. Like if you go into the comic book store, nine out of 10 people are part of this community and they want to be good to one another. They're, you know, my, my, my kids are, are three and five and they can walk into any of the comic book stores here in town and everybody is super friendly to them and like, oh yeah, you know, who do you like and all that. But there's always that one out of the 10 that is just like, going to be a gatekeeper and make sure that the only way you get to be a fan is if you earn it. And, and it's kind of like, you know, man, it wasn't that long ago we were all getting put in lockers over this stuff. Maybe right. we should like, why don't we start celebrating our newfound power before we lose it? And uh, I just don't get the guys that want to behave that way, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah we work hard. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to stay out of that. Yeah, you do. And that's, that was my point. And that's as you do. I love it. And I think, and it's, and you know, like with our new show too, it's going to be a lot of that where it's like, you know, you can, of course you can disagree and say that's nonsense. And, you know, and in ours, it's going to be yeah. good fun. And when you guys agree, you're always like, I think, I think Mitch always like, okay, Jake, I hear you, but I'm about to, like, yeah. even winds you up to tell you he's about to tell you he's, why he thinks you're wrong. And it's great. Yeah. I, I get a couple minutes to come to terms with it before he ever delivers yeah. the punch. Yes. Yeah. But it's excellent because I think what you guys do and why I'm a fan is just that. Like you said, it really is only one out of 10 people. There's always this one turd who's, who's wants to, you know, throw, it, throw himself as the turd in the punch bowl. And you're like, yes, stop it. Like, shouldn't you just be excited that this stuff exists? And, and it's like, of course, it's not going to be exactly the way. Like, and here's the thing. When someone has taken a comic book and put it panel for panel, and this will be my segue into our topic on the screen, it bombed. And so yes. maybe, maybe um, that's not the answer. As well as I love the movie, Scott Pilgrim, it bombed. And that first, I mean, parts one and two are almost panel for panel on the screen. And um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen is almost just like he, he projected the, the Dave Gibbons art right onto screen and it oh, exists. Man. And, and, it, we, and people get mad about that because it's like, well, that's so boring. Yeah. Well, because he just turned a comic book into a movie without making any changes that are sometimes necessary. So, you know, like you said, those gatekeeper guys were like, well, it's not my whatever. Well, sorry. It's, it can't be. Yeah. Well, and I always say, you know, like if, if I want to go and relive Watchmen as it was written by Alan Moore and drawn, colored, et cetera, by, by Dave Gibbons, um, and anybody else involved, I, I've got that. It's on my shelf. I can go grab it right now. But it is interesting to me to get a different take on an existing idea. Um, we've, yeah, he and I, Mitch and I have exhausted hours of our lives talking about Scott Snyder's, you know, like how he's so close to everything that we want him to be. But when he misses the mark, it's such a big swing and a miss sometimes. And, and I think that that panel for panel recreation is one of his, I think he, I think Scott Snyder likes it more than I Zach, do. 
Scott's Zach, the I, yeah, Scott's exactly. the writer that did yep, Batman. Yep. Oh yep, yep. boy, um, that's okay. It happens. Uh, okay, yeah. No, I feel dumb now. No, I know who that is. I'm a real I know nerd. You do. Um, I know you do. I, uh, so I'm watching. <laughs> I know that you know. Yeah, but I think Zack Snyder, I, and I think he likes that sort of panel for panel recreation more than I do. And good for him. He's the one with the budget. I hope he's enjoying himself. Um, I, yeah, that's not how I would go with it, but I, there's people that that's for, I think. Yeah, and it's and I don't hate the Watchmen film at all. I, I, I'm not one of those people who thought that, but um, but you know, there's it's just like you, like you said, there's some corners of the of the internet uh, and and fandom writ large that you just can't win. And it's like I'm just not one, one of those people who decides I want to hate the thing that I love. I guess that's just that's not how yeah. I roll. I prefer to love the thing that I love and and for its flaws and everything. So you know, um, and that. You know, so and I so again, and that's what you guys do on your show, and it's just so good. And so I'm really well, happy you're you. here because I think what we both agree on this will be something we both friend is that we love Brian Lee O'Malley's masterwork, Scott Pilgrim. Yes, so much so. So we're going to talk about that. So this is my first Oni Press book. So I'll I'll have done a whole thing. We'll pretend that you know that I already said all this stuff about Oni Press. Oh, okay. Because I'll do that in the intro. Blah blah blah. Oni Press. Okay. So you've heard all that. That's amazing. So Brian Lee O'Malley creates this seminal masterwork that was so um, important and so good that Edgar Wright made the film before the story was over. And so I thought it was important for us to focus on the comic because in your unanswerable question comic book versus movie um i think you cited that you liked the movie a little bit better but it was like maybe by a razor slin yeah margin. yeah I, no you're right on there i um well and I, I always say on our show like i reserve the right to be wrong is something that i i say a lot and we also talk about like i have this really horrible recency bias uh, just as a person, and it's we always joke that like whatever Spider-Man movie I've seen most recently is my favorite film of all time, and um, so I yeah I you're right there though that's that's pretty much I, I think that when everything is stacked up I tend to lean just a little bit to the film, but that's not as a shot at the comic. It's more as just a praise of how much I love the film. Yeah, because Edgar Wright, who's a genius filmmaker, decided he was going to get lean in hard to the, um, to everything that the comic book was trying to be. And so like, let's see, what could I do? How would I make something this original and exciting and fun and, and thoughtful come to life? How do I bring a comic book video game into a movie video game? Oh, I'm gonna do these amazing things. And I'm gonna stack it with future superheroes, Chris Evans, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Brandon Roth, uh, Brie Larson. He's like, here you go, universe, just take all these future and past superheroes and you you're yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy all of the different paths that run straight through that film it is it really is and and it, what it starts here is with our source material and so we did i because what i have is the color edition so we're going to talk about the color edition but i when you first read this did you read the black and white edition or the color edition yeah i actually have never read the color edition oh, i've okay. i've only read the black and white Okay. Okay. Well, I have the color. I've, I have done both. Um, awesome. And there's, it's the, the, here's the big thing that you're going to, that the difference is going to be is the color edition. You actually know what color Ramona's hair is. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. Cause it gets a lot of discussion 
Um, I, I was reviewing it like last night I pulled out just a couple of them and just did a quick flip through to make sure I remember this how I think I do. Yeah. And I, I remember multiple times where somebody's like, oh, your hair color. And, and they keep like, oh, your hair. And I'm like, oh, good job using uh, verbal cues for this visual medium. Yeah. And in the color edition, there's a, the joke is there. And then there's a little bubble that's from, from Brian Lee. And it says, this joke is funny in the black and white edition. Oh, that's awesome that they so, put that in there. Yeah, because this is, this is a big fourth wall. Scott breaks the fourth wall. He doesn't turn and look at us, but he tells us all the time this is a comic book. Like he says mm -hmm. all the time. Well, this is, you'll have to wait till the second volume to find that out. Or, yeah, oh, or, and he's constantly like, like, oh man, can't we just end it here at volume whatever? Like, right. I, I don't want to do two more of these. And yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's actually, that's exactly when the movie takes over. Like, because only the four volumes were out. So yeah, that's that such that, a crazy thing. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about our characters. So for those people who, have, who are not super familiar or who it's been a while, so we've got our, our, um, our sort of hero, Scott Pilgrim, who is <laughs> a 23-year-old unemployed uh, bass player, is really the only thing we can say that he actually does, who's, uh, who lives in Toronto with, with his uh, gay best friend, Wallace. Um, and they're so poor that he and Wallace share a bed and they live in like a studio apartment. Um, he is dating a 17 year old called Knives Chow. He is in a band called Sex Babam with Kim Pine and Steven Stills. And that's really our cast. I mean, there's a lot of side characters. Um, do you, do you think Stacy is, I don't, I always go back and forth on is Stacy a main character or not. I, I don't ask Stacy Pilgrim. I don't really list her as one. What do you, what do you, yeah. make? is that good? Is that a good list? Am I missing anybody you think? We no, should I, I think, no, I think that pretty well nails it, uh, especially as it opens, because I think that Stacy, she drifts in and out. Um, she certainly gets more, more play in the movie than in the book, I think, or in the book rather than in the movie. Um, but I, I still think she just kind of drifts in and out. She's never like one of the core there. Right. Okay. So good. So that's the story. So, so uh, Stephen Stills, Scott Pilgrim, Kim Pine, they're in a band called Sex Babam. Um, we discover right at the beginning that Scott Pilgrim, a 23-year-old, is dating a high schooler called Nides Chow, who is 17. So that could be a way for you to just shut that book right away. So how, what do you make of the fact that Brian Lee O'Malley somehow makes that work in a way that you continue to read and you're not like, well, he's super gross, I'm not interested, close the book. What, what do you think he does that, um, you know, that, that makes that seem, and I'm not going to say it's okay because it's not okay, but, but it's weird to it when you explain it to someone, they're like, that's gross. Why would you read that? You're like, well, <laughs> so there's, what do you make of that? I, I think there's two things. Cause I've actually thought about this myself a lot um, is why did I keep reading this and why do I like it? And there's a couple of reasons. And I think that, I think that part of it is that Scott is never presented as a hero. Um, he's, he's presented as a protagonist, but he's surrounded by people who are disgusted with what he has become in his mid twenties. And uh, these are all people who've known him forever. They're people who are just, they, they look at Scott as he exists today and they are just, they hate it. And they are, you can tell everyone in his life is like one incident away from being done with him forever. Correct. And 
I think that first of all, that's a big piece of the puzzle that, that O'Malley never presents Scott as somebody that like, I, I'm not sure I'm, rooting for him at almost any point in the thing you know I, no um, yeah no he's I, he's definitely not a hero no yeah he's he's kind of sleazy and i just but at the same time and this is where the comic drew me in so quickly is obviously in a really exaggerated way i i promise i'm nothing nearly as bad as scott pilgrim but i see especially at the point in my life where i read scott pilgrim in my mid-20s i read it and I see a lot of my own flaws in him, and I see them not dressed up, but laid out there in a way that is almost cathartic and therapeutic. And it's also dressed up in this video game culture, comic book culture that I grew up in and that I understand. Um, the music from the, the film, the soundtracks, like some of my favorite ever, I love that they put in the books, they've got the chords so you can play along with Scott's crappy music. Um, and it's all the kind of crappy music I listen to my whole life. <laughs> and so like, I, I read the whole thing and I'm like, I am, I am some differently bad life choices removed from being Scott Pilgrim. And I think that in some ways it's cathartic to see that I didn't screw up as much as him. And in other ways, therapeutic and growth inducing almost to see who I got to pull it together, man. And uh, so that I think that it's that combo of things that it's so real and identifiable for a generation of us young men. I don't know what it's like to be a young woman, so it might be for them too. I'm not trying to exclude anybody. Um, and I also think that, yeah, he's just never presented as the hero or the good guy, just as the guy we're following. Right. I think that's all beautifully said, Jake. And what I agree with wholeheartedly um, is that, it, 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 Scott Pilgrim is one of the, is like a Holden Caulfield type guy, right? Like he's also not yes. A oh my story. gosh, so well said. Yeah, he's also a a, a monster, and and um, you know, there's no way when you're reading Catcher in the Rye. I mean, I love Catcher in the Rye; it's one of my favorite books. I I read. I have a yeah. road sign that a Holden road sign that I committed a felony for in high school to steal a sign that says Holden. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yes, so it's it's um. It is, it is a fact that I love that book, but I, I love it because I, like you said, I'm just a few bad choices away from, we're all a few bad choices away from being Holden Caulfield. And so yes. I, think, I think that that's what you said is perfectly, is perfectly well, well said. Also, the reason I'm, I, as a, as a person who has four adult daughters, who then were all teenagers at obviously one point in time. Um, so, you know, you have no choice, but kind of like to think about Scott, like, ugh, you know, not he never <laughs> touches knives ever there's at no point in time does he touch knives so yeah when, the, when it first starts i think the opening uh part is scott's high school's girlfriend and wallace is like is she really your girlfriend is that real like wallace knows from the jump that that's nonsense that that isn't that is not what's really happening wallace calls it out and um and so and you learn through the flashbacks that scott has never touched her they've i think we almost held hands once he says um because yeah, he's, he's real. They're really deliberate. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, he goes out. Brian Lee goes out of his way to make sure we know that Scott is not being a predator. He is. He is desperately hanging on to something that um, that he doesn't have anymore, which is a, a secure security. He's literally sleeping on a futon on the floor, and I don't even know that it's a futon. Other than it's just like a futon mattress on the floor. The way it's drawn, it, it doesn't even look like a box. Like there's no box. It's just a mat on the floor. 
And yeah. he is he is desperate for for like this this he's 23 and he's already in his mind seen a lot of life. He's been kicked a lot and he's broke and he doesn't know where he's going. And when you're 17, you feel like full of energy and I can be anything. And in Canada where this story takes place, when you're 17, you still have two years of high school. They go to 13 years. So so he's thinking, man, if I could go be 17 again, and my only drama is what my friend's shoes color was, because there's a lot of talk. Like he likes to listen to knives talk about high school drama, and he just gets lost in it because that just seems so peaceful. So it's almost like he went the perverted way of being like a big brother, big sister situation. Like maybe that's probably where he should have gone. It would have given him um, less of an ick factor, but he's a monster, so he would think of that. <laughs> That's so well said. And I love the Holden Caulfield comparison. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow this. Like, I'm really going to next time I try to describe this to someone explain that Scott Pilgrim is like the millennial dirtbag Holden Caulfield. And that's so well said. Thanks. I agree. I mean, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's just who, because again, he's unlikable. Like most people who dislike Catch and Ride don't like Holden. And so they're like, yes. I can't read a book about him. You're like, okay, I get that. I, have, I don't begrudge anybody eating <laughs> old That's cardio. the point. You should. Right? He's the phony, everybody, while he's calling everybody that. And, <laughs> you know, and Scott does a lot of the same thing. So, um, well, that's, okay, so we've got Scott nailed. And we'll, we'll talk about his growth as it goes along. Um, his band is uh, Kim Pine and Stephen Stills. And I have to say, to me the hero of this entire book is Kim Pine. Like if there, if you were to rewrite, like if you were to consider who's the best person, it's either Knives or Kim. Um, the reason I always lean towards Kim is because at no point in time in the entire book, does she ever lie ever. And nobody's, <laughs> just nobody's ever listening to her. And so I just kind of love her running commentary. And it's like, if you were to just pay attention to every, and then this last reread that I did before we, you know, last weekend, I was like, oh my goodness, if anyone would just shut up and listen to Kim, their lives would be in a such, such a better place. Um, what do you think of Kim Pine? I'm right there with you. I actually uh, spent a weird amount of time reviewing her Wikipedia entry um, just to make sure that like, yeah, because as I reread, well, like I said, I I think the last time I fully read this start to finish was with, I know it was within the last year. Um, And so I, yeah, I, I felt like it was recent enough. I knew what I was talking about today, but I wanted to make sure that I did that review glance. And as I kind of went through, I, I gave some time to all six last night. And as I was kind of doing that, I kept thinking like, man, Kim is really a standout character. And I ended up just like not feeling like I got enough of her in my flip through the book. So I, I did spend a weird amount of time just like reading up on her and seeing what her deal was. And I think that's a really good observation that she's very, there's a way of looking at it where you can say that she's just the commentary in like a comedic way, that she's there to be the straight person to, to Scott's constant pratfalls. But I think that there's a lot more to it than that. And she's, she's kind of our Greek chorus, like giving us oh, this, yes, this perspective on it and like showing it. Yeah. So I, I love the, I love your look at her though, as the true hero of it, because even towards the end, Kim is there providing Scott with some guidance to help him get his closure and get to that point where maybe there is going to be growth. But Kim also is is too realistic to really, I think, look at it that way. So, uh, is, which right, is for, where I land too. Right. No, totally true. But you know what? It's funny that you say that. Made me laugh because 
Kim is the only, of all of these idiots in this book, she's the most hopeful, and yet she comes across as the most... Yes. <laughs> yeah, but she's... Because uh, there's a whole sub-story where Scott, and well, it, he never remembers anything correctly, and whether that's intentional, uh, or whether he has some sort of a, of a brain damage issue where he genuinely can't remember, or if he's like <laughs> suppressing his memories, you can go either way. But he has this whole theory of what how he and Kim's relationship went, which is not accurate at all. Um, yes. And every time he brings something up, Kim is like, no, man, that's not how it went down. And, and it's so funny that, that through all this, like she's still, she sticks with him. She's just such a good, like we all need a Kim Pine who's like gonna de deal with our crap no matter what and um, be our like, be our go-to. Like, you know, Scott could just, cause even when he's homeless for a while, he has to go sleep on her couch and she's like, fine. And, um, and, and, you know, she's just <laughs> always there for him and, and she's always, you know, hoping he, hoping he's going to be the better man that she thinks he can be even when he doesn't. So it's just a, it's nice. I like her. And, uh, yeah, that's well said. Yeah. And then Stephen Stills is the talent of Sex Bob-omb. Yes. Um, I, and I feel like he gets uh, shortchanged in the film the most, which is understandable. I'm not mad about it. Um, but he has to. Uh, because his story is huge. His story is so gi ginormous that you could write an entire secondary book called Stephen Stills and have it happen like a Rosencrantz and Field the Stern or Dead kind of in the gaps of Scott Pilgrim, you know, where in the background, because Stephen Stills is dating really an unlikable character for the first three or four books. Yes. They, they fight constantly. And then when they start recording the Sex Bob-omb album, he ends up falling in love with the man who's the record producer. And at the end, Stephen Stills comes out to Scott and Scott's like, you kiss boys now? And he's like, yeah, it happened a while ago, but I didn't think you'd notice. So I didn't even bring it up. And it's like, yeah, that's one of those on. lines where they're like, I think he's like, yeah, like in book five, we started. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Scott, of course, it's another commentary on Scott. Like, yeah, this is a huge life changing thing for me, the lead singer of your band and your friend. But since I knew you right. wouldn't be bothered to care, I didn't tell you. And that's such an indictment against Gosh. Scott. But it also is like, shows you, again, that's where they couldn't do that in the movie. Plus you didn't know in the movie. Like um, that doesn't happen until book five. So they, so Steven just kind of becomes a background character in the movie. But what do you make of Steven as a guy? Like he is really wants this band to work more than anybody. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Steven. I think he, I think he brings an adultness uh, that maybe this book needs. I don't know. What did you? What do you think of Stephen's arc? I, I love Stephen because he is this. He. I like the adultness word that you used there because he's that. He. You know. I'm. I'm going to say, and not in many ways, but in some ways, he's Mitch from my my yeah. show because he's nice. he's that serious artist that's going to make it work, and he's going to be artistic. And he's going to make a living as well. And all of us deadbeats are just dragging him down. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that, and I've always admired people like that. And I think that's a lot of what makes like uh, the mutual respect that Mitch and I have work is I just look at him like this guy has found a way to take a traditionally just dead end thing. And that's being artistic. And he refuses to let it be dead end. And he's such a, I mean, he's just such a, a he's constantly hustling and grinding. And I don't know if I'm talking about Mitch or Steven at this point. And yeah, that's what I'm nice. trying to say is like, that's fair. they're just constantly working their tails off because they know that their art is good and they know they're going to get, they, they've got to make some money off of it. And so Steven is that guy that stands 
there when everybody else is throwing, and I, I don't even remember if this happens in the book, but I just have known people like that. When other people start throwing around words like sell out and stuff, it's like, no, I'm trying to make money and art and you can't do just one. And so, uh, no, I love it. I think Steven is a great character. And I, I think really for me, like, Scott Pilgrim, the, the books are just filled with these uh, awesome, amazing characters that I would so much rather be following. And right. I think that's part of the charm of it. That's part of what makes it work is that it's just so full of these characters that are just such better examples of how to do life at that age and stage than Scott. That is perfectly said. That is so well said. It is 100% true because because yeah, Stephen. Because Stephen, not only like you said, he's all those things, and he's a he's a cook. He, you know, he works in a restaurant. Yes, he works his ass off. He, which is not, which is a hard skill. And there's actually, I have to say, one of my one of the most charming things. Like you talked about the song lyrics, um, and I will admit to everyone, there's a there's a, a song Scott sings about working in a burrito place. Um, and so I, <laughs> I, I actually taught myself that um, song. On my ukulele. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's it was um, just because I was like they want me to. But there's also a vegan dish, and I'm a vegetarian, so I'm like I may do this. Stephen Stills does an entire recipe for you in the middle of I think book two, um, and even shows all the foods laid out and the recipes there, and it tells you everything how to do it. And he's doing it meanwhile, and it happens in between Scott's banality. Stephen is looking right at us, telling. Like, don't Scott, yes, this is Scott's drama, but here's something useful that you can get out of this issue. It's just <laughs> it's so good. And I just I, I love it. And again, that's a real recipe that's in there. And it it's the the irreverence of it, but it also I, it echoes what you just said about his drive, that he's just he's trying so hard, he's gonna make this vegan dish and he's gonna show you how to do it, and he's gonna make a make an album. And there's one moment when um, Scott listens to the, the track that they did. And he's like, who is this? And, and Stevens, <laughs> Stevens is like, this is us. And he's like, do we not suck? Which I think is, <laughs> that tells you everything about how oblivious It's such a is. great line. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it good. so much. Yeah, because right, Steven, and the look, and there's no word Steven doesn't then say anything to him after that. He just, the look on his face, the way that Brian Lee O'Malley draws Facial expressions is spectacular, and the look on and Stephen Stills gets the best ones. He and Kim, um, I know this book gets a lot of knock knack or gets knocked down in the black and white version because a lot of times Kim and Ramona look a lot alike, um, and I get that, I get that to an extent, but you know, there's subtle differences there, and it's usually facial expressions where, um, but it's like yeah. when Ramona, we'll we'll talk about her in just a second, but when Ramona is is generally like stoic, where Kim is grumpy, so you just kind of have to get that that so subtle facial features done. Um, but anyway, yeah, okay, so let's talk about Knives, Wallace, and, and then ultimately Ramona, who is like the quest. So Wallace and Knives are, are important characters. Um, they are definitely, um, they're ancillary, but they move, they move the story along. So Wallace and Knives, what are your thoughts? Like Wallace is a fan of Knives, that's what I like. Like Wallace is like the whole time is like, Scott, what are you doing? Knives is good, she's too good for you, you need yeah, to. He he like hugs her right away and is like, you're yeah. too good for him. Get away from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, you know, I guess for me, and, and this goes back to our discussion about, I, I'm worried. I kind of get into these loops where I, I realize I'm saying the same thing 50 different ways. But um, I, I think that for me, Wallace and knives are two more examples of Scott is surrounded with such good people. And, and Wallace and knives are two people that I look at it and I'm like, 
okay, so Knives is a child, so I probably, you know, don't really want to spend a lot of time around her, although she looks like a good kid. But, like, Wallace is totally a guy that I want to hang out with. And Wallace... And like when, when Scott comes home and Wallace has his friends over and uh, I just always look at it and I'm like, Wallace just looks like such a good dude. And I, I look at Scott and I, I think to myself, like, why is this dirtbag surrounded with so many good people? Because you think like if you did a where are they now on like all the characters from Scott Pilgrim. I think all of them are like leaders in their communities and they're like well-adjusted adults who, and, and all this stuff, I don't know about Scott, but everybody else, you know, everybody and I think else. that, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think that like, but Wallace is that example where he's just like, okay, you're like the worst guy I know, but we're still Ever. friends. So come sleep in my bed with me, go with ahead. Me. And yeah. like, <laughs> I, and the thing about that is, is the, what I like is, is that shows more about Scott and Wallace. Like that's the best thing that Scott does in these first like four volumes is that he is not embarrassed that he sleeps in the bed with the gay guy. That's never an issue. And it's yeah. almost like O'Malley goes out of his way to like remind us like, cause the cool thing is, is he's always like reintroducing us with their age. Knife yes. still 17. Wallace, you know, <laughs> Wallace Wells, gay best friend. And, they, and, and other Scott, also gay. And like he, so it's, it's like he's acknowledging that Scott Pilgrim has no problem. Like he's not homophobic. Wallace is truly, truly his best friend. Um, it's his best friend. Kim Pine is the person who's best to him, but his best friend is Wallace. And, um, and, he, and so it's like a true, like they truly love each other. And I think um, that, is, that is lovely. I agree. But it's like, again, Wallace, you're way too good for Scott Pilgrim. What are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> um, I don't, I'm with you, like of all of them, because I, as much as I respect and admire Stephen Stills, it'd be like, I can't keep up with that guy. You know, like he's just a guy I knew who was on his way to greatness. So I'm just going to get the hell out of his way. Yeah. Wallace is a guy who like, just is working hard. He just wants to like have a good life. He, right. You're right. He's like someone you would totally want to hang out with and be like, let's yeah. he's always drinking. So, you know, if you said, Hey, Wallace, let's have a beer. He'd, he'd be down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think Wallace is, I I love in my head as you were saying all that, I got this image of Knives turning it around on Wallace and being like, you're too good for him, run away. And like, it's, it could almost be done that way. It should be. And you're right, it could. And that's why I I pair, and I agree. And that I subconsciously must have paired them together that way, because I do feel you're right there. The two, they're they're good that way. They are, they they respect each other. And there's a, um, they see that in each other and you know knives just isn't self-aware enough and like you said in aware are they now 20 you know 27 year old knives is like man i always wondered what you know what the hell wallace why was wallace friends with scott you know like a right. documentary version of of that where they're all being interviewed so that's amazing so then in comes the plot i guess literally roller skating through scott's brain ramona flowers <laughs> um so here's the weirdest thing brian lee o'malley invented Amazon delivery. So does Amazon delivery, does Amazon owe Brian Lee O'Malley money? Because in this book, I mean, Ramona is a hand delivery yeah. <laughs> for Amazon, which at the time wasn't a thing. 
Yeah, I remember reading it at the time and being like, what is this? Does, yeah. I thought Amazon came through the mail. Right, it did. It's bananas to me. Like looking at it now, when you look at it in 2020, you're like, oh yeah, of course, delivery drivers, that's the thing. But no, that wasn't the thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was I, uh, in Canada, but I don't, you know, I don't know. That's okay. So that's a good thing. I guess I just kind of assumed literally, and this probably reveals my own ignorance more than anything else, but I assumed through the first time I read this, literally anything I didn't understand, I'd be like, wow, Canada's a lot more different than I thought. And, uh, <laughs> and really, be. it's probably, it might just be a video game reference that I, I never played that game or something. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that dead people turn into bunnies in, uh, in Canada. Oh, in that's Canada. fascinating. Yeah, you turn into chains. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, right. yeah. Which, by the way, can I say that's how they hooked me on this whole thing is somebody told me, you've got to read this comic because when he beats people, they turn into money like a video game. And I go, oh, crap. Yeah. Where can I find that? Um, oh, it's that's such a genius move. And there's so <laughs> many. It's so smart because it was it's such good writing, too, because of the one up that happens. And yes. <laughs> and and, and uh, Kim Pines always like he's Scott Pilgrim. He never loses. Like, and yeah. so there's this, this whole running theme of Scott Pilgrim is the world's greatest video game player, which of course, again, when this was, the comic was what, 2004, 2005. So um, at the time, like now there are professional video game players. Right, like, yeah. Scott could get a job today. He could. And you know what? The college where I work, Siena <laughs> Heights University in Adrian, Michigan, we have an esports team. We were one of the first. Oh, that's awesome. Team. So there are people who come to my university, like, once we started up, we were getting like uh, people from all around the world, like somebody from Australia, like applied because they wanted to play for our esports team. So it's like that's you get so cool. It is. It is. A, it is mind boggling. Um, and you know that in two thousand and four, this was this was like they were make, making fun of the only thing Scott is good at is his video games. But now, in twenty twenty, he could be the coach of the esports team <laughs> right? at my university. Yeah. I seriously, I, I was born like 10 years too early, man, because I'm not good at the games that you can get rich off of, and I'm oh. great at the games nobody else plays. And so it's yeah. like, I tried Fortnite for a week, and I was like, screw this. I, this is stupid. I'm just getting called, uh, like, there's all these people calling me racist things, and I'm like the whitest Whoa. dude in the world, and I yeah. suck at it, and this is no good. And That doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, actually, no. I'm not a gamer at all. I never was like... I am, I am probably 10 years older than you, so maybe a little bit older than that. But um, so I grew up like in the, you know, when the original like Atari was the thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then, and then Nintendo, the original Nintendo and Sega came in. And I just, I don't have the depth perception. When games turned the other <laughs> way, when games moved, when they were left to right, give me that. Like, give me, give me that game. Yeah. Um, but when games turned into like going forward and backward, I couldn't understand what was happening. My, I, my brain couldn't do it. <laughs> That's so all. I just it was never time to it. tap out. Yeah, so it's fine. So I'm, I'm not interested, but I know that people do love it. And you're right. I think Scott Pilgrim would have, would have evolved and he would probably be excellent at Fortnite. Um, hopefully, yeah, the I, racist I, comments wouldn't happen. Yeah, well, they happen a lot on Fortnite. It's That's it's woof. it's an awful place. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> wow. uh, but yeah, so. Anyway, man, Ramona I don't remember, yeah, I don't remember how I got there. Ramona no. and Amazon, that's it. Yeah. That's how it was in, um, in a different world. We're like, maybe in Canada, people turn into the bunny. So that's how we, that's how we Yes, yes, so, yes. So um, Ramona Flowers yeah. literally is an Amazon delivery driver, and she uses Scott's headspace as a shortcut. Um, and that just is never truly explained, and it doesn't matter. There's a few doors around downtown Toronto 
that you can get into the subspace, but one of the subspace shortcuts goes through Scott's dreams. And so yes. Scott, Ramona Flowers is literally the woman of Scott's dreams. Um, and she is the manic pixie dream girl, literally. So um, what do you think of Ramona writ large as a character? Do you like her? Do you not like her? How do you feel about her being kind of used as um, like a, you know, the Helen of Troy character uh, a little bit? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think Ramona is the hardest character to pin down for me. And I, and I like that all these questions you're asking me are, are telling me for sure that like we're on the same page on a lot of this stuff. Nice, um, I, 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 Ramona's really hard for me to pin down because in some ways she is every bit what Scott deserves because they're going to destroy one another. And sure. um, <laughs> in some ways you can see with her and it's like the, the disappearing for a while with no word to anyone. And it's like, okay, you're totally entitled to disappear, but also like there were people worried about you, you know? Yeah. And, and there's, you look at her and in a lot of ways I, I get her appeal to Scott because she's a lot like him in other ways. She's a lot more mature than him and has been through a lot more than him and has a better understanding of herself. And so it's, it, she's a really fascinating character. I think that, that Helen of Troy place that she assumes in this story where it's kind of all fighting over her. I think it works mostly because it's very self-aware and she seems to resent it as much as she embraces it and doesn't really know how she feels about it. Um, and, and I think that that level of self-awareness stops it from becoming something stupid that holds it all back. You know, she, she is more than just a MacGuffin. She's a character and she's got agency of her own as she displays several times, but she also never takes that step to stop being someone else's MacGuffin as well. And I think that that's a complex thing. And I like to think that O'Malley is a talented enough writer that that's all intentional and not just he kind of stumbled onto a way to make it okay. I, you have, it's like you pulled thoughts right out of my head and <laughs> came out of your mouth. That is 100%, I agree. And I feel the reason that I think, I think that you're right that O'Malley is talented enough is because he literally makes her the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. He does that on purpose. He puts her in Scott's dreams. She comes through on rollerblades. She's an American. She is, you know, she's got different hair color. She's, she's got her own fashion sense. But there's, she's got a, a bag, a Hermione bag, where she could reach in and pull like limitless number of things out. She's got all this like weird story and her backstory is really vague and it's intentional. So he does create someone who on the surface, if you just, and like you said, it's hard to pin down Ramona because to describe her, you're describing like a two dimensional character who is just a MacGuffin, but she, she knows, that's the thing, Ramona knows that she's the MacGuffin in the story and she can't control it, she wishes she could. And so I think you're 100% right that he is given, her agency is the disappearing. That's the only thing she can do and it's a crappy thing to do, but it's the only option she has at that point because everyone wants something from her. Like the whole plot is in order for Scott Pilgrim to date Ramona Flowers, he has to fight her seven evil exes. And that's the story. That's the video game stuff. And it's silly and it's fun. It, it's so fun. And in both the comics and in the movie, it is an utter delight to watch him go through these things. Uh, but it's like they, every one of these evil exes, air quotes, 
evil are just mad at Ramona because they wanted something from her that she never said she'd give them. Like the expectations on Ramona yeah. are so high. And they're so high. Scott even then has these high expectations because he's willing to fight. He had, at no point, Scott's like, yeah, I don't think, I think that's dumb. I, if you just want to be with me, we should just be together and having to fight your exes to prove I'm worthy of you. That's a dumb thing. And she should be like, yeah, that's dumb. But that isn't what happens because that's not the story that either of them are in. Like they are the video game characters forced along. And I think that, you know, one thing I find fascinating is the that through the whole thing, everybody acknowledges that Scott is almost definitely evil X number eight. And that he is, he's, that's probably where the sequel goes is like Scott's the next Gideon. And, and I, I think that in a lot of ways, I think that Ramona and her interaction with the seven X's and with Scott is an indictment of of young men although i guess one of them's a woman but Roxy, i think that, yeah 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 we i know that like and i'm i'm you know i'm just going to own it i am certain that i did this to some people without meaning to and that doesn't make it okay but i think that at a certain age we look to relationships to fix so many problems and to complete so many incomplete pieces of ourselves without understanding that no you've got to fix yourself and then bring that to a relationship. And I think that she's in this spot where all of these people expected her to fix something or complete something or or something. And and she's at the middle of it saying, I never promised to do any of that for you. And you're not, you know, you're just angry because I couldn't be something that I wasn't. And I think it's an indictment of both both how men we can kind of assume things of of women and also how just relationships in general at that age, we're all trying to get something out of them that they can't provide. And that's kind of, for me, in a lot of ways, that's the story of your early 20s is like growing out of expecting other people to give you things that only you can provide. That is amazing. And that is so perfectly said. I agree. And I think that's what makes, that's the char- the beauty of Scott Pilgrim. It is hysterical. I laughed when reading, doing the reread, reread, I laughed out loud. Multiple times. Scott, oh, yeah. if your life was a face, I would punch it in the face. That's, that's the best line ever. But then still says, Stephen later says, Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it in the balls. That's what Stephen <laughs> says. And it's just like, it's so, but yeah, when Kim's like, Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it right in the face. And it's just like, of course, Kim <laughs> is giving him the tough love. And, I, and it, so there's like really genuinely funny stuff, the way that Scott and Envy Adams interact. Um, and like, he's terrified of her, but he can't stay away from her and like watching him sweat and act like such a stupid man, baby. Um, there's genuinely funny, but everything that you said about the way that the relationships, cause this is a whole book about relationships. And the only people who have a healthy relationship at the end is really Stephen Stills. Is it, his name is Joe, the, the record producer. Um, no yeah, one else really, yeah. yeah, no one else has a stable relationship throughout the whole thing because they are, like you said, they're all putting so much weight on each other to, to do something for them instead of being like, be my partner. They're like, be the person who makes me a better person. Like if I date Ramona Flowers, then I'll be, the, I'll be amazing. Like that's what Scott thinks, but you're right. He's, because they offer him, I don't remember which one of it was, if it was even the first one, if it was Patel, who offered him a chance to just join the evil exes and get it over with. Like Yes, he, I think... 
Gosh, I can't remember who it was. One of them did. And so if, if he had just joined, then he doesn't have to fight him. He's just out of it. Cause they were like, dude, this isn't going to last. Nothing ever lasts with Ramona. And they're like somehow making that Ramona's fault instead of their fault for asking her to be something that she isn't. Yeah, that's man. That's so well said. Yeah, I think. And so it, it's, I think we've, I think we've really understood Ramona's role. And I think I appreciate you walking through that with me because on my reread, it is, she's such a complicated character and she is, I agree, she's also unlikable. The, the, she and Scott are unlikable characters surrounded by people who are too good for them. But Ramona, who's the outsider, so, so that's where Stacy comes in. Stacy befriends Ramona. And when Ramona's missing, she's the one who's most worried. Scott is almost like, well, she's with Gideon, it doesn't matter. And so he just gives up. Yeah. Whereas Stacy's like, I don't think that's right. Like, again, Nobody's listening to anybody because Scott is sure to sell. I'm not going to listen to anybody. Um, and then his parents, during that time, <laughs> while Ramona's gone, his parents just give him an apartment and a car. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I, I, when that first happens, because his parents aren't really in the book at all because they're like in Europe traveling around. So they show up and they realize how miserable his life is and he's homeless because Wallace has kicked him out. And so like, here, we'll give you an apartment and we'll give you a car. Now go get your, and at that point, he's just, he's a dishwasher. No, he isn't even working at that point. Um, he's just laying around in, in the house. Yeah, that's before he's working with Steven, right? That's right. That's right. So it's, again, this, it's like he just fails up. And I, I think that goes back <laughs> to what you, what you said about Brian Lee O'Malley being smart enough to say, like, Scott didn't do anything to earn this and look at how much better his life is. I mean, by being a loser, his parents have made his life better. He didn't have to do anything. So it's kind of like it goes full circle. For what he wanted was to be treated like a child and be, be taken care of. And then that happens for him. And it's in that moment when he finally gets what he thinks he wants, that that's when he misses Ramona. He needs a job. He, he realizes he's been kicked out of sex bomb. He doesn't even know that. Yeah. At that point. That sex bomb, not only has he not been kicked out, they're not even a band anymore. And he doesn't know because he's so got, he's got his head stuck firmly up his own ass. And it's just, um, <laughs> it's a delight. I, I, I hate to say it, but it's really delightful because it's like, yeah, that's what you deserve, man. Yeah, man. And I, every time I read that part where his parents just give him all the stuff, I, I sit there and I scream at nothing, you know, <laughs> and I'm in a room, but I, I start yelling at my inanimate book. Yeah. And I'm like, this is how people get this. It didn't happen overnight. Right. And I, <laughs> like, you created this monster, mom and dad. Uh, and so that's, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Oh, that's awesome. It's totally true. So, um, well, let's talk about, uh, so this is the journey, right? So, so at the end of Scott Pilgrim, or the, the plot, again, like you called uh, Ramona the MacGuffin, but we firmly established that she isn't, even though she is. She doesn't want to be, but she knows that she is. So <laughs> she both is and isn't. She's right. the Schrodinger's or Schrodinger's MacGuffin. That's well. Oh, that's make that as a shirt. You can and you can put. <laughs> that's exactly the box. right. Yeah, that's that's genius. <laughs> so she Ramona has he in order for him to survive, he has to fight the seven evil exes, and each one is harder. So it's like bosses, and they're all wearing their numbers. So like the bass player in Envy Adams' band, the fake who has vegan powers, um, which is just one yes. of the funniest moments ever. And, and I think that translates, Brandon Routh plays hit Todd in the movie. And that is like my favorite uh, comic book to film 
of the seven evil exes, he's my favorite because it's like, I don't even know. Cause at that point he'd already done Superman, right? Or had, was this? Yeah. Right he did, Cause he did, he did returns, right? Right. In sit 2006. Yeah. And the movie was 2010. Yeah. And so, the movie's like 11. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, right. So, so they got Superman to come in and play this like big, str- it was like such great. It was great fan. It was like, again, fan casting in my mind. There's a lot of that. Chris Evans is the skateboarder guy. It's really great. Yes. Um, but so he, he has to fight each of these evil exes and they're wearing their numbers so you know who they are. Um, what, did you make, uh, what did you make of that? And again, it's clearly a video game thing where you have to fight the bigger bosses until you get to the end and he has to fight Gideon. Um, you know, was there, you know, was there a deeper meaning to that beyond just like, hey, we're, we're doing video games? What did you make of the exes? Do you have a particular favorite of the seven exes that, she, that he has to fight? Um, go, I will shut up and let you have it. My my favorite is still uh, man. I love all of it. Um, my favorite is still probably also the the vegan guy, just because yeah. that's such a funny. I actually um, I I actually became a vegan in the last year or two, and um, the joke around the house was always like, "Well, are you levitating yet?" Um, and <laughs> that's awesome. I uh, I'm like, no, but I weigh forty pounds less. Uh, so yes. I and it's and basically plus. the same. Yeah. yeah uh, so levitating. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, um, no, I, I think that's my favorite one. I also am, am really partial to Roxy just because, um, oh no, I'm going to get her name wrong. I call her Anne, but she's actually got a name. Uh, she was the actress, Mae Whitman. Um, there it is. Uh, who plays, who plays yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think she's phenomenal in everything she's in. I think she's one of the most underrated performers on earth. I've never seen her appear in anything where she wasn't brilliant and one of the best, if not the best on screen. Yeah. And I also just love all the little lines and they were like, it was just a phase and all this stuff. And, um, <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about Roxy because when Scott, so there's a moment in the movie or in the book when um, Knives and Kim get drunk and they make out. And Scott's the only one who sees it. And then um, when Scott asks, because this is before Roxy shows up, and Scott says, like, have you ever been with a woman? And she says, yes. And he giggles. And there's even, like, it says, giggles uncontrollably. Uh-huh. So this whole idea of he's literally sleeping in the bed with a gay man. And that's completely fine. Like, he's not grossed out by it, but he doesn't care. It doesn't turn him on or off. But there's this whole weird thing about... Um, there's a certain breed of men who think it's super hot to watch women kiss for some reason. Yes. So, so I always feel like that's why Roxy's there. She was there to address that elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. And Scott is definitely that guy without he a is. doubt. He's, and, and I mean, obviously he is because it happens that way, but even if that scene is not there, we all understand Scott's that guy. Um, you know, and we're all like, how are you, you know, Scott's the guy who doesn't drink, but somehow manages to be the biggest douchebag in a room full of people drinking. And it's like, okay, that drunk guy over there is being more friendly than you. So explain this. Um, right, Wallace is drunk all the time. Yeah, yes. And so um, I think that, uh, I think as far as to come back around to the question about, is there a deeper meaning? The only thing that has ever caught me is just that uh, this idea that Gideon is like, you know, I emailed everybody and there were, you know, the idea that there's so many out there, but that there are these seven that are still so hung up and so messed up. And I, I think it speaks to, again, what you were talking about earlier with like, 
you know, Ramona didn't make these people evil. There's, there's just these people that could not get over that she couldn't provide what they wanted. And I, I think that plays into each other. Otherwise, I did always just kind of see it as the video game structure, which I love. Yeah. As too. as somebody that is a big time gamer, um, grew up on all the games that this references and homages. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's an awesome structure for a book, and I love it. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, you can because you can. You're right. It is. There's clearly the video game structure, and there's and he's got the different levels. It's. I would have you know. I would have preferred it to be nine instead of seven because then you could have just been like, oh, it's it's a Dante's Inferno. Um, but it isn't Ooh, only seven, yeah. you know, but it's, and one of the levels is twins. So that doesn't really even, we yeah, like, true. Yeah. Uh, seven and eight are twins. So he, you know, that's, or I'm sorry, five and six are twins. So he doesn't, um, he doesn't really have, he has to fight them at the same time. And he, and in that one, when he fights the twins, that my favorite thing about that fight is that at, you don't actually see it because that whole episode, that whole issue um, when he's fighting the robots that the twins, the twins make evil robots and then he has to fight the robot as himself and they're he's mm-hmm. fighting a robot. Um, Ramona and Kim are walking around talking in the front of the book and Scott is getting his ass handed to him around the back of the book and on the sides of yes. the book. And then at the end he, but and that's when Kim will be like, oh, don't worry, he's fine, he's Scott Pilgrim. And then he ends up finding, to, finding a way to win. Like he out, like Lee, the skateboarder guy, he just tricks him into going down a, a, a rail slide that kills him at the end like scott doesn't do anything he he's he's um he backs into some wins but he's also outsmarts them in some ways um but i like that fight with the with those guys but yeah i agree with you it probably is just the video game structure but it is they each get more and more air quote evil and a lot of that has to do with the more recent gideon who's the big boss he he was the most recent one so you also have to look at like the first guy patel weren't they like in elementary school or middle school like they were real young yeah they like yeah because he was a little kid getting bullied or something and she helped him and yeah yeah Yeah. and then as soon as the pretty boy i think that's what he calls uh lee comes by he she gets distracted by him and she goes with him because he's pretty and on a skateboard and so again that's somehow her fault but she's like 10 and so (laughs) okay so but i think the thing is is as as they age each of them is older and so their relationship with Ramona is more complex. And, um, and so of course there's, a, there, there's even more air quotes ownership they think they have over her because it's like, no, no, I'm, I, we were supposed to be together forever. And you know, like when you're 12, you don't think they're supposed to be together forever, but when you're 21 or 23 and, you, and you're with somebody. And I think that's where Roxy, the soft spot, soft spot in the heart for Roxy is because Roxy is gay she thought Ramona was. And so she thought Ramona could, they were in college, so she thought that could be something. And it wasn't because Ramona's like, well, I was just trying something out. That was like a shitty thing to do to Roxy. Because Roxy wasn't trying something out. That's who Roxy is. And so, you know, like her angst, and you can, of them all, and I get why you, because I, you know, after hearing you say that, I, you know, I think, I think you're probably right. Like, she's the one, in addition to the actress in the movie is, is really good. I agree. She, she like, she's really good. But, um, because Roxy is the one who could actually have a beef with Ramona. She also is the one who still kind of genuinely loves Ramona. She, she understands, like she gets that Ramona is not into her. Ramona tried, she dated a girl. It wasn't for her. She's moved on. She turns out she's straight. It's okay. She's not bi. She's not gay. She's going to go back to dating men. But Roxy's still hung up on that. She's like, but it worked. It was good. It seems like they were a good couple. 
And so she's genuinely heartbroken where the other six of them are mad. I think that's a really solid observation because Roxy, doesn't she crash at Ramona's after she, she and Scott fight? Yeah. yeah. And so they, <laughs> and they're still friends yeah. and there is still that. Yeah. That's a really good observation. Yeah. I think, and I think there's, and again, it's, 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 we can look at that and as O'Malley saying like, Hey, you know, this is, this can, you know, th there can be misunderstandings. Not everybody really is evil. And it almost feels like, um, they're all the other men are kind of creeps about it where Roxy's just genuinely hurt. And so her hurt is turning into anger because she doesn't have any other way to communicate with Ramona. But then you're right, after they fight, then they're just hanging out. Like Scott shows up at Ramona's house and because Scott slept at Kim's house. No, he slept at Envy's house. He slept on Envy's um, yes, uh, yes. house. And that was like the big tension there. And I have to say, when Ramona and Envy fight, it's also amazing because it's like, oh, right, Ramona's also a badass. And then she has to fight Knives. Knives attacks them in the mall and she like breaks a sculpture and Knives has a sword and, and Ramona fends her off with like a piece of metal piping from a mall um, sculpture. So, so there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of Ramona we just don't know about. Um, and I think seeing her and Roxy sitting there at breakfast just having like an adult conversation says a lot about uh, about their relationship. Yeah, that's so good. Well, and I think that, you know, one thing that keeps coming back in all these discussions we're having about the different characters is the layers and layers of complexity to this, you know, this six issue graphic novel video game. Right. And, or video game graphic novel. Like, yeah. and, and the layers of complexity to it, it's such a testament to O'Malley's talent and just that this is clearly a, a passion. And, you know, this is, this is something I've handed to several people and said, you know, comics are more, and, and I, I love and adore when comic books are just Spider-Man coming so close to losing and then saving the day at the last second. That of sort course. of escapism is, I, I live on it. It's amazing for me. I also understand that it's like, a lower form of what I love and that's okay. But when I want to tell people like, Hey, it's more than that. It's also an art and it's also there's, it's a form of art and it's a medium. This is one of the things I've handed a few people and said, read this and tell me that it is not an artistic expression of your twenties. Right. Yeah, there's just so many layers to it and all these characters are so nuanced and that's not what you'd expect from this the first time you pick it up. Right, because again, right, I think the first one isn't the first one called Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life is the very first yes. one. And so it's like, it's this, you know, he's even making fun of his air quotes hero slash protagonist um, because he's even saying right from the front, Scott's, uh, if Scott's life was was a face, I would punch it. And that is, that is, we all feel that way. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it is, it is a perfect encapsulation. It doesn't matter when you read it. You know, I'm in my 40s and I just read it again and and you can read it whenever, and I was, you know, I wasn't, I, I was born in the 70s. So when this came out, I was already past my 20s, but it does really capture, and it's not everybody's experience. That's 100% true. Yeah. To be very clear. But it is, it is an experience for someone, because Scott is a, is a mess, and he, he has to, like these, like in his mind, his, his biggest challenge is getting a girl to like him. And that, but what really happens is when he gets a, he gets his job back at the end. So he, he gets the dishwasher job, then he loses it because he just keeps forgetting to come in. 
And then when he gets his job back, he gets a thousand experience points. And it's like, and that shows right <laughs> up on the screen. And it's like, that was him overcoming something and had to owning it. He had to go in and look at his boss and say, please, please give me a chance. And she takes him back. And that's like such a moment for him of him like having to eat crow and know like, hey, you have to ask for things and you have to work hard and you have to put the work in like your buddy Stephen Stills, who's gonna be a big successful rock star. Um, so be more like him and you know, learn from him. And then in that moment, Stephen actually kind of becomes his, his uh, Yoda a little bit because they're you know, working in the kitchen together. And they get to be better friends really working in that kitchen than they ever did being in the band because he can learn more about life watching Stephen Stills cook than you ever could watching him you know, play lead guitar. So it's just a cool moment for Scott of growth. Um, and whether or not, you know, that's, that's the ultimate question is, like you said, in the where are they now, is Scott, is he still living in that apartment that his parents rent, pay the rent? I'm not sure. I, I mean, honestly, and, and this is not a shot at anyone I know personally, but I work in human services as my uh -huh. day job. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Scott's in jail. Uh, <laughs> Scott, <Okay. let> <laughs> You know, you can only indulge and enable a person for so long before the system finds them. That's, uh, and he an probably excellent. didn't do anything too terrible, but uh, Scott's in jail. That's, that's, that's my idea. take. You know, you know what? <laughs> Scott could easily, that's amazing. I love it. Because he could easily have just been duped, right? He could have been like, yeah. hey, this strange guy asked me to hold this bag for him. Like, and that's, <laughs> yes. He's so That's dumb. exactly what it is. And Scott thought that the cool thing to do was not snitch on somebody. Right. So he's like, Scott's doing 15 years for something that he wasn't even adjacent to, but he's pretty sure you're not supposed to snitch. Right. So like, that's, that's right. exactly what's going on. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, I love that. So let's talk about this. So the book and the movie end a little bit differently because the movie, the movie had to come up with an ending before the book. So at the yeah. end of the book, after, they, after Scott kind of goes... Scott dies, everybody, but he has an extra life. And even his mom, like, Stacy's on the phone with their mom, and she's like, oh, no, oh, wait, he's alive. And you hear the mom on the phone say, remember, he got that one up from that one guy. Like, his mom yes. doesn't even know. <laughs> but it's, it's clear that she's read that volume because they, they acknowledge the whole time that you can read this anytime you want to catch up. So Scott has to go inside of his own mind and inside Ramona's mind and inside Gideon's mind, and they can fight in this fantasy world where – Ramona is literally like, uh, like a, like a slave. She's like tied up and got chains on her and everything. And Gideon's an evil monster, and they fight. And ultimately, they fight together. Scott and Ramona do kind of back to back, and they banish Gideon. They find out Stephen Stills is gay and having a good life. Everybody seems to be in a decent place, and they jump into the um, the headspace together, and that's the end of the book. Um, so in the movie ends slightly differently. And did you know that there's an, and maybe you know, cause you, I know you're a big fan of the movie. And I didn't know this until not that recent, just more recently than I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit. I guess the, the original ending of the movie was Scott and Knives get back together. Yeah, I had read that, that that was originally what they were going to go with. And then they pivoted away from it. And I think I, I'm a lot happier with what happens in the film. I am than I Yeah. Um, yeah, the movie, the movie's ending is fascinating because I think, and there's a lot of differences, but to me, the most significant one was always that Ramona really was with Gideon. Yes. Um, but they also somehow, and I, and I, I you know, I, I don't think I like this as much when I think it out, 
because I think the movie actually kind of removes a little bit of her agency by including the mind control chip that Gideon puts on her. Um, and and I, I think it's done just to kind of make Gideon a lot sleazier and to also, uh, which didn't, <laughs> it wasn't hard. It's a short um, walk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also I, plays Gideon, right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. He's so um, great. It's, I mean, he really leans in. He's great in that role. And he's another one that I love. Uh, I love nearly everything he does. But um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of it was just because, you know, it's a movie. You've got to condense. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that they were trying to make any different statement with it. I think they were just saying, okay, we could probably cut an hour uh, just by going to, okay, Ramona was with Gideon. Gideon put a chip on her neck to control her. Right. Check. Okay, we got everybody really into the know, same room. To, right, because Brian Lee yeah. kind of had that plotted out while Edgar was doing the movie. And I, I, right, so what I understand is they were kind of in touch and that once, uh, I don't think Brian Lee O'Malley would have been thrilled with that Scott and Knives ending up together. That might have, you know. I, I like to, to think that that was part of what changed. I don't know for sure. Like, I'll never, yeah, I don't know, maybe know. it is out there, but I, I, I like to think. Um, no, I, I think that, I also always think about Remember the insanity? Oh, I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones, but when it got when it got past the books, there was like I, I really kind of quit logging into the internet for a few days just because people were really there was so much hand wringing about oh my god how are we going to be faithful to this and how are we going to that and it's crazy like the level of concern that that got and then I think yeah it totally <laughs> happened with Scott Pilgrim and it went great it like yeah, it's yeah. too good good interpretations on the same work like who cares and so right. that's exactly right and people are still stressing because all the game of thrones books are still not out but it's I don't, right. it's just funny to me yeah it is and it's interesting that scott pilgrim and game of thrones totally different epic fantasy land. <laughs> um, there they intersect but they intersect there yeah so um so anyway so do you like so do you care for the ending of this of this book because i mean you your your contention is scott is in jail which i love uh, but at the end, we don't know. He and he and Ramona jump into the the headspace and off, and that's how it ends. They're just falling, like Alice in Wonderland falling. What do you make of that? I do like it because I think, that, and and it's weird that I like it because most of the time, the whole make your own ending thing to me is a cop out um, because it's difficult. And I get it; it's hard. Writing's tougher. Everyone would do it. I'm not trying to say people who do it are bad writers, but usually, I think it's kind of a safe way to say well, if I define an ending, then I could accidentally contradict something I was trying to say. Um, but I don't think that that's the case with O'Malley. I think that it legitimately is that it's the best way to conclude the story is to say that humans remain a work in progress. And since this whole thing has been about growth through a certain stage of life and looking for solutions in a certain place where you probably shouldn't, I think that it then is the ending is just saying Scott's still looking to grow and we all should still be looking to grow. And although Scott is certainly no hero, uh, he, he does have growth. And that's the thing is that by the end of it, Scott is closer to who he should be than he is at the beginning. It's just this question, is that enough? Like how much growth is enough growth? And I think that for me, the reason why I say Scott's in jail, I, I've always assumed that <laughs> Scott and Ramona do not stay together. I can't imagine. Um, no. Exactly. And part of it for me is because it ends with 
let's hold hands and jump into the brain space or what the mind space together because it shows me that they are still looking to this relationship to fix something or provide some growth. And, and, you know, as anybody in any kind of long-term successful relationship can tell you, or a long-term unsuccessful relationship can tell you, like that's, that is exactly how you set yourself up for a lot of pain. And I, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. No. And I, I'm with you. I don't see how they, I don't see how they stay together because, um, he has no, his skill is I moved up from dishwasher to prep cook, which is a skill. There's no doubt about that, but is yep. that, but, but without somebody there telling him what to do all the time, a Ramona is going to get real sick in a real big hurry of being his mother. Wallace got tired of being his mother. Steven didn't want to be his mother. His yes. own mother was, they didn't say move home, Scott. They're like, we'll put you in this apartment because we don't want you in our, we want you to be okay, but we're also not going to have you live with us. Um, so, you know, I just think, yeah, Scott's going to, he's in love. He, he loves Ramona in a, you know, in a carnal way for sure. Um, there's something there, but ultimately he wants someone to take care of him. And that's not her. That's not who she is. There's nothing in this book that makes me feel like that's part of, part of the problem with each person wanted Ramona to do something for them. And Ramona's like, dude, can't you just do something? And I think there's more, more, more than one occasion when Ramona looks right him right in the face and says, dude, like she dudes him. <laughs> because he needs it. And so it's like, you're doing that now and you've just been dating for a year. How's it going to be? You know, I, I, I agree. I'm with you. I think, I think that is the, that is the right um, assessment of the ending. And uh, this is now we're there. Now we're is at it, the endings. Uh, is yeah. it weird that more than anything, it reminds me of the movie, the graduate. No, um, I think that's genius. <laughs> I like, think that's, that's exactly always what it is. That's always been my read on The Graduate is at the end, they have their grand romantic getaway and then the, the, the sad music starts playing that again. That look on their faces. Yes. And, oh, and, yeah. I, and I think we all agree that that's the message of The Graduate. But for me, I was always like, oh, Scott Pilgrim. So it's, uh, it's kind of got a graduate thing going on that at is, the end there. I love that. I love everything about that. I think that is, wow. Wow. You just broke the internet, Jake. <laughs> Cracked it wide open That's for dozens amazing. of listeners. Well, you probably have many, many listeners. I always say our dozens are going to really love what I have to say today. I love so. everything. That is, that is spectacular. Oh, my God. That is, wow. Okay. That is a whole new, I love that. Well done, sir. I'm, Buck, I Buck am Henry well known up. for my, in, oh, go ahead. Sorry. But no, I was going to say Buck Henry, who is no longer with us, but you know, that, he wrote The Graduate. So he is sitting up and uh, applauding your genius. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's how I feel. What were you going to say there? I, I am well known for my insane and often weird comparisons of things. I think, I don't know if you've, I once compared the tick to the dead Kennedys. It was <laughs> kind of my proudest stuff. moment. No, so I think, I, that's, <laughs> but I think that's apt. Uh, there's nothing, and I'm sure Jello would be like, damn right, spoon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, how many dead Kennedy references can you get, really? I found one, and I'm, one. Uh, I'm looking for two. So that's there good. we go. All right. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. I think that's genius. So my final question always, Jake, is at the end of every show, I ask my guest, and since you didn't know this is coming, people who come on the second time are like, I'm better prepared. If, if who, <laughs> who's the person in the world? Now, you've said you've given this to some, you know, to some people, but... Who's the, who's the kind of person who needs to read Scott Pilgrim? 
like if you who would you give Scott Pilgrim to and why now if it's a particular person now you had mentioned you use you give Scott Pilgrim to people who are like oh, I don't get comic books I don't need to see superheroes you're like no no check this out um and, and so if you just want to you know double down on that answer then I will accept that I'm not going to make you come up with the second answer because you kind of you know beat me to it a little bit but like is there a kind of person or, or or maybe one person in particular who you're like you know, this guy or this gal or this type of person really needs to read Scott Pilgrim. I think that the kind of people who would, no, I'll answer it a second time because I think it's such yeah. a good question that I love, I love few things as much as I do giving the right comic book recommendation. And I have told many people in my life who don't read comics that there's at least one comic for everyone and I will find it. Um, nice. And so... No, I think the kind of people that would really take to Scott Pilgrim are the kind of people who like stories that are insightful about just human progress, like just us as individuals growing and and looking at maturing and how that can be a struggle um, and, and sort of that that tension between being young and wanting to be mature at the same time, but not knowing what that looks like, where you know, and I'm not sure that I'm totally out of the woods on all of this. So I'm not trying to speak <laughs> as like the wizened old sage at the end of life. Um, this is not one of the ancient mariner is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it's yeah. No, okay. but I do think that, I think if you're into the kind of like, I'm not going to call it a coming of age story because it's not that, but if you like, I think that Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye is a great, a great reference point. Um, but maybe it takes itself a little less seriously. Um, and I think that's maybe who I would recommend it to somebody who's looking for that. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I, I, I'm a, I'm a college teacher and, but I teach mostly adults, like, you know, like adult or people who are like in their thirties and forties coming back to finish their degree. Um, but if I were teaching traditional age, I, I, I would make this a requirement to college seniors. I would oh be like, yeah, that's a good listen, call. Listen, people. You're, these are you, like everybody in this book is college. <laughs> so listen, this is you, this could be you. Who do you want to be in this book? Do you want to be Wallace, who's working, who's trying hard? Do you want to be Stephen Stills? Do you have a dream? You know, who do you want to be in this? Kim Pine has to move back home, right? So, so I think like giving this book to someone who's, who's 21, getting ready to face the world, I think sit down, read Scott Pilgrim, figure out who you are, and figure out how not to be that person. Because I think Brian Lee gives us a, a playbook of who to be. Like there's heroes in this book, there's villains in this book. And the Adams, we didn't even really even talk about her, played brilliantly by <laughs> Brie Larson in the movie. But she is, this is what happens when you other people tell you how to live. You become Envy Adams. And so you, there's a lot to learn from Envy, you know, or how not to be. So um, I just think it's, you know, I, that's, so I think it would be a great shot. You know, you, your kids are younger. So, I mean, I've got one who's, who's still in college. So um, she loves the movie, Scott Pilgrim. She loves the movie, but I feel like her next year when she turns, when she's a senior, this will arrive in her mailbox and I'll be like, here you go, kid. It's time to read, I mean, I'll, to read Scott Pilgrim. I'll yeah. say that's why I love it so much. It hit me right at that point in my life. And it was, like I said, I, I saw a lot of myself and didn't love it. And uh, it was kind of a, <laughs> I kept looking at it and I was like, oh, yep, it is, it is time to figure some things out. That's and true. I was not as far gone as Scott, I'm happy to say. No, so, good. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully for you. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time um, today, sir. This has been a delight. Oh, thank you.
And so we'll wrap up by telling, well, you telling everyone about, you know, where they can find your show and where they can find you. I know you're not, you know, you're, you, you, the, you and Twitter have, uh, you're an on and off again relationship, but, you know, so feel free to plug whatever it is you want to plug. Go for it. Well, I am, uh, I am fortunate enough to, is even now always be surrounded by people smarter and more talented than me. And I get to write a lot of coattails. And the, the main one is I am the co-host of the watching comics podcast. We get an episode up every week, unless once in a while life kind of jumps in the way there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at watch comics pod comics with an X. Uh, you can find me. I, I do Twitter. I do Twitter uh, off and on, and uh, that's a new new verb. That's well said. I I am at that that Jake Owens, and it's usually just my very random thoughts, most of the time on pretty nerdy things. Um, And uh, yeah, I I love what we do, and I love being a part of it, and I love that it has led to getting to be a part of this today. Thank you so much. Well, that was a bunch of fun. I can't thank Jake enough for coming on and breaking down. Scott Pilgrim with me. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Tricycle Boombox, or you can go to my website, arfarina.com. You can send me a message there if you're not on Twitter. Make sure that you support the rest of the Comics in Motion feed. Please, please, please like us, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. That really helps us get out to other listeners. We've got something for everybody. It's your daily digest of comics fun right here in the Comics in Motion feed. And, um, Uh, Really, really, that means everything to us. Seriously, we've got some great shows. I know I'm totally biased, but we really do. So um, Jake and I talked off air, and we feel the only way that we can end a discussion about Scott Pilgrim is to end with the sex bomb classic, Garbage Truck. Enjoy, and I'll see you next time. Take you for a ride I'm a garbage truck Oh no I take you to the dump Cause you're my queen Take you uptown I show you the sights You know you wanna ride I'm a garbage truck As the mansions by Drive right through The needles I Oh my My, 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 my I got a stereo You just gotta turn the knob And maybe we'll go As far as we can I'll be your garbage man I'll take out your junk And I'll crush it down Jesus in my rear view And the highway patrol is up ahead In my garbage truck, truck I'll never throw you away When you're old and gray We'll just roll it away